the other learning I'll say is just how small this Canadian mortgage landscape is. Like it's not seven degrees of separation. Everything's one degree of separation. If you don't know right. someone, you know someone who knows that someone. You know how they like six degrees to Kevin Bacon? It's like how many degrees to Ron Butler? It's like probably one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's often what we found is that we're like, oh, we'd be talking to one person. They're like, oh, you need to talk to this person at such and such company or such and such insurer, whatever it was. And we're like, oh, I don't know anybody there. They're like, oh, just call this person. We're like, okay, cool. So, you know, make a phone call, shoot an email, whatever it was. And just bam, like somebody's just there on the other line to help you. They respond quickly and they're like, how can we help? And it's just a really small, but I'll say extremely helpful ecosystem that we have here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's one thing I actually love as somebody who did business in the US before, which is a heck of a lot more cutthroat. Canadians, sometimes it's a bit of a stereotype, but Sometimes that stereotype is also true. Just nice. How can I help? Mm -hmm. Put a handout and people put a handout for us and we've tried to put a handout back for them. And it, it showed, it's shown up in so many ways and we built so many great relationships along the way. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today, the show, Bikem Merdita. Bikem is Vice President at Rocket Mortgage Canada. And on this episode, there's two episodes coming with my conversation with Bikem. First one is about how they launched a lender in Canada. So they're actually lending money, their own money, or certainly like mortgage-backed securities money. We talk about that, what they've learned, what going through the process of setting up their own lender, which is not an easy thing to do. Also in this episode, I talked to Tom Hall about ChatGPT and your CRM on our Ask the Experts segment. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. It's got some cool features like smart submission notes. So as you're starting to submit a file, it pulls key data from the app. It's connected to the lender spotlight, which is the best tool for searching rates and guidelines. I can tell you that some of the brokers that have joined our brokerage recently and they can use any program they want, but they said, hey, I'll give this Finmo thing a try. And a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them are like, wow, this is super easy. I love it. Check it out at lendesk.com slash Finmo. Hey, Vikram, welcome to Auto Mortgage Brokering. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So excited. I got to come visit you guys in Windsor. And so maybe just before we jump into a bunch of questions I have for you, some things you guys are doing, this will be more of a discussion back and forth. So maybe tell people who you are and who you represent and all that stuff so that they get a sense of that first. Sure. I'm Bikem Merdita, Executive Vice President of Rocket Mortgage Canada. And I lead a team out of Windsor, but we've got folks in uh, Windsor, the GTA, Calgary, and Vancouver, but headquartered here out of shiny Windsor, Ontario. Right. And I came to visit you guys at your office, which is a beautiful office. I did not realize how close Detroit was from, like, I can't swim very far, but I think I almost, if I didn't drown and get run over by a boat, I could almost swim across to Detroit. I don't think I would get there, but. I don't recommend it, but yeah, no, the river, the it, river. It, it feels I, that I, way. I would drown for sure, but I'm just saying, the distance-wise, I think it's a doable distance. Distance-wise, yes. Current-wise, no. But yeah, you're right. I mean, from my window right now, where I'm sitting, I could take a peek over and I could see Detroit. Yeah, when I was there, there was a concert going on in Detroit, and I literally could hear the concert like I was sitting at the concert, and it was just coming. And I'm just like, wow, this is so crazy. Like, just maybe I'm just like I'm like a little kid who just gets. I was like wow, there's a big world out there that I didn't see before. So 
Rocket came to Canada. Maybe talk about that. When did you guys come to Canada? And then we're going to catch people up to speed and kind of what's going on now. We launched March of 2020 officially, and we've been basically growing ever since. We launched as Edison Financial. We later rebranded to Rocket Mortgage in 2022, August. So not even a full year is being Rocket Mortgage. So why did you guys, okay, I got to ask a question. Why did you launch as Edison and not Rocket? Because you obviously, I also, I really like the Edison name because I'm a huge fan of Thomas Edison, but so I'm like, I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't think of that name, but why did you launch as Edison <laughs> instead of Rocket? For us, we truly wanted to just prove our thesis, which was that we could build a better experience for the Canadian consumer. And a lot has gone into building the Rocket brand in the US over three and a half decades and for us to be able to wear that brand, it was really something that we wanted to earn. And certainly right. our board and the team at RKT wanted us to earn that. So we had to build a team. We had to prove that we could scale. We had to prove that you know, we could run a good business, that we had great client service. And only once we did that, were we able to go back to our team and say, we think we're ready to be Rocket Mortgage. And they granted us that right. Right. So it's kind of like an undercover test, like undercover boss, if you will. It's like, hey, let's go see how, if this works. Because it's a different market, Canadian market, U.S. market. Obviously, Rocket's very well known in the U.S. And so it was a test. And then I was like, oh, yeah, test is working. Here we go. You guys are rebrand to go. When I was there, you were launching a lender. So maybe talk to me about what's going on with that, what the vision for that is. Because something I learned from you is that you not only does Rocket do retail, they also have like a wholesale division. So I don't know, maybe just give me some background on those things. Yeah. You know, Rocket's been in the retail industry since 80s direct consumer. And it wasn't until 2009 that Rocket actually got into wholesale, but they did it in a very measured way, started servicing banks and credit unions and helping them with their funding needs. And later on decided to open it up, talk to mortgage brokers across the US and really grow that division out entirely. And it became a really, really big business that really complements well what they do from a direct consumer perspective. For us, we knew that we wanted to start in the direct-to-consumer space. That's really you know, where our heart is and driving that innovation, being on the front end of that technology to make it a better experience for people first and foremost. And that's really what Rocket has focused on since the inception, since we launched here. But we knew that in order for us to really deliver what we wanted, which in our mind is a better end-to-end -end experience, we were going to have to have some connectivity. And the lender is one piece of that puzzle. So you think about the front end, what do clients see first or engage with first? It's, it's the marketing, right? So the brand. And then for an agent, right, they're going to handle that direct experience with the client. But all the while, they're basically plugging that deal in. They're keying in that deal to whatever platform that they're using. And then their CRM. And then they're going to start experiencing the lender. And then they're going to experience the closing service. And then they're going to experience the servicing. But these things are extremely segmented. And as I was just talking to you, Scott, like I'm probably if you're you know running any tech stack and a bunch of partnerships, like you're talking about like six, seven different companies that were mm -hmm. all a part of that client's mortgage transaction. The client doesn't really know that, nor do they really care. They want to do business with Scott. That's the person yeah. that they signed up to get their mortgage through. But they can certainly feel that on the other side of things, right? Like, why are you asking me for this again? And didn't I already provide you this? And didn't I already tell you this? And now I'm telling you again. And I was talking to you. Now I'm talking to them. That is always a difficult thing for consumers to reconcile with. And we thought about our lender as a great way to really just sure up a lot of that foundation. So create integration between what the client is hearing on the phone with the agent that they're working with and what they're experiencing. And then wrapped around all of it as a portal. So we put in all the status updates 
that a client would normally receive or that a mortgage agent would normally receive. So you know, your file has been submitted to lender, your file has been conditionally approved, your file is now broker complete, your file is now ready for signing, it's ready to close, it's funded, it's all those things. So that way the client can follow that journey along the path, sort of like you know, your Domino's pizza tracker. So you, you, know, you feel really good about the fact that pizza is on its way to your house. Right, yeah. And one of the things that when you think about this, so if I'm a mortgage broker and if I've got an assistant, so I talk to the client, then I got my assistant that packages it up. And if I even have an underwriter, I have another person in there and they send it in, then someone else looks at it, you know, and maybe there's two people on the lender side. There's the person who does the underwrite and then there's the fulfillment person who looks at the documents. And so everything's getting done twice. So there is a lot of duplication of work. And so from my understanding, with the way your model will allow you to sort of reduce some of the number of bodies in the entire transaction to reduce confusion as well as just make it more efficient. Does that be accurate? Yeah. So talk about fulfillment in an environment where you use fulfillment, what do you have to do as an agent? You've got to note the file. So that way mm-hmm. the lender could see it. You make your submission, lender comes back, issues a conditional approval. Now your fulfillment person is typically going to take over from that point forward. Now they've got to basically recompile all of this information from both the lender as well as the agent. And then typically have to go back and create a whole bunch of new communication lines between parties as well as the client to figure out what's going on. So they're almost like mm-hmm. starting over and hoping that everyone else did a good job of noting this thing along the way so that they don't have to start from scratch when they pick it up. Well, what we wanted to do with our lender was integrate that entire thing. So whatever notes our agent's putting on the file, they're the same notes that the lender is seeing when they underwrite the file. They're the same notes that the fulfillment person is seeing when they're working on the file. And it reduces a lot of the duplication that you mentioned and just creates a more streamlined process that doesn't have the client sitting on the other end of it wondering what's going on, And did the other person that I already told all that information to not tell you everything that I said over that one hour long phone call that we had? Right. And so since you guys enrolled this out in June, I think June 5th, so now we're about a month in, how have you found, I mean, it's a new thing, but have you found it to be more efficient already or still more work to do to make it more efficient? Like, I guess, turnaround time. So I'm I'm one of your agents and I'm talking to a client and then if it works and it fits the direct lender now, like what kind of turnaround time stuff are are you seeing on something like that? This is one major differentiator. I mean, typically we'd send off to lender, have anywhere from in this environment, you know, one to three day initial underwrite turn times, unless you're sending to a few lenders out there who are really backed up right now. In our world with our lender, we're getting conditional approvals back in under an hour. So, I mean, we're sending them off. They're fully packaged, noted, docs on file. Everything's there. That's another thing. We don't have to go back and like re-upload documents to a third-party portal they live right. inside the same system. So from there, I mean, you know, it's removed duplication with documents and we basically hit submit auto right over to the uh, underwriter at the lender within an hour, they reviewed the file, they've issued a conditional approval back. Again, that's fully integrated. So now you're not downloading commitment letters from a third-party portal and having to upload them into your system. It's just seamless. We've got the conditional approval Clients notified that their loan's been conditionally approved. Agents notified. Fulfillment specialist is notified. Everybody's on the exact same page. And then all the conditions are added there as well. So what underwriter sees is the same thing that the fulfillment specialist sees, is the same thing that the agency sees, is the same thing that the client sees. So if they say, pay stub doesn't have a year-to-date pay and I need to see the year-to-date as a note, every single person, including the client, is getting that information in real time. So there's little guesswork to be done on what's needed to move forward. Right. How do you see this creating opportunities for you guys, you know, in this space? So 
we started, I'll say small in the sense that we wanted to really get our bearings and make sure that all the pipes were working first and foremost. So I mean, it's a big undertaking. I know you've got friends out there that have started lenders and things like that. And we're certainly not the first, but I think that everyone who's done it and been down that path will tell you it's very, very challenging to create it, especially when you're trying to really level it up and jump to a new evolution of what lending could and should be. So we took our time getting to the point where we're launching our lender. And then we really wanted to use, you know, the first 60 to 90 days to start refining our processes. So Mm -hmm. we started out as an insured lender. That's what we are today. You know, we would love to think about a world where we could start to expand that product line. Although I, I don't know that we're quite certain exactly what that looks like yet. So we're really just exploring like, what are the products that we need to suit the consumers? And that's how we're going to try to expand our lender. Right. That makes sense. So for somebody who's looking at the outside, like what type of brokerage model does Rocket run? It's because like maybe from they're looking at it going, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'd like you to answer it. So people listening can get a sense of like what kind of model you guys are running. Maybe I'll ask you the question since you came through the office, Scott, I'll throw it back at you a little bit. I certainly have my perceptions of who we are and, and what we are, but given that you came in, you saw the office in, in motion a little bit. Feet. Shoot. I uh, am. What did you okay. think? What would I say? So it seems to me that you guys are obviously a direct to consumer model where you have salaried people that follow your guys' process. So it's not like a typical brokerage where you have you know independent people kind of everybody doing their own thing. And it allows you to control the process, the client experience better. And obviously you got big brand recognition with Rocket. And then just I see you guys continuing to vertically integrate in terms of like, okay, how do we like make this more efficient, more profitable as you scale it out? And you know, that's my perception. So it's a true north is similar, like they've got a salaried model with you know, salary plus bonus. And so they spend their time and energy, you know, building the brand and driving lead flow for the most part. And then their people service those people. So I mean, I've always said if you're a new broker and you're you can get a job at a place like Rocket or True North, like you can get a lot of file experience very quickly. You can compress three to four years of experience or more in a year easily, just because yeah. of the volume of conversations you have, the number of, you know things you look at. And so it's certainly a, you know, not saying that you shouldn't stay there forever, but you have people that will be there for life and other people that will be there for five years or whatever. And it seems like a great place to learn. Could be a good place to learn for the right person. Yeah. Yeah. And it also wouldn't fit other people who are way too independent minded and, you know, that are not like, Hey, I don't want to follow a process like the average mortgage broker. For instance, me, I probably would not be a good fit. If you guys hired me to be like, go work the phone, Scott, I would probably like it for like a month. And then I'd be like, okay, I want to change things. You you can't, (laughs) you know, that's my perception. Yeah. Certainly the ingredients need to remain the same, right? Like everyone can sort of create their own art. So we're going to give them all the tools. We're going to give them all the leads that they need. We're going to give them all the training and support, something I know you're passionate about as well. We're going to teach them our way. We're going to give them call scripting. We're going to teach them all the processes, things like that. And like you mentioned, something that maybe as an independent, let's say you work on, it might take you five years to do a hundred files, whereas our people might do that in year one because of just the volume at which we run at, the lead flow that we're providing to our folks. So for that, yeah, we do have an agreement with our team and, and our agents that, hey, like you're going to live inside certain parameters and we're going to deliver in a, a certain type of experience to our clients, something that we believe in delivering to our clients. And you're going to sort of do it our way in that. Now, it's not to say that you can't put your own 
art on that. But the science is proven over three and a half decades of rocket. And that's definitely something that we took from the US and have been able to replicate in Canada. And we've been successful with it so far. Warren Buffett talks a lot about franchises as good businesses a lot. Talks about the, you know, when he, when he looks to invest, he's looking to invest in a franchise, something that scales without the involvement of, you know, a single person and really just like a process that can be picked up mm-hmm. and repeated over and over and over again. And I think that if you're trying to build a repeatable and scalable business, which is definitely something that we're trying to do, you have to just start with that mindset. And it's definitely something that we, right from the very beginning, you know, we didn't come and start this up to be, you know, a three and five person mortgage broker shop. And that forces you to make different types of decisions right from the beginning. So, you know, who are your values? What are your values? Forgive me. And who are you? If you identify those things very early on in the process, you make different decisions and we've been able to do that successfully. So in terms of like having a lender, you know, banks have been extremely aggressive on pricing lately because the number of units is down, volumes down, or, you know, numbers are down. So then they're going to want any piece of the pie they can get. How is, is your lender helpful in this? Is it not yet? Or like, what are your thoughts or what is your guys' strategy around? Because even you guys still compete with the banks. It's not like no one has a always competitive advantage in every single file, in every situation, right? Um, yeah. It's not a price advantage. It doesn't seem to be that. And if you do, it's usually a temporary price advantage. Like a credit union will have a temporary price advantage because they have a pool of funds and then they run out and they're like, shoot. And so there's limits to a lot of these price advantages. Yeah. I would say the biggest misconception about lenders that even brokers have is that they are bank competitors. I don't know of a single one that has been able to circumvent some level of integration and partnership with the big five Canadian banks, and then have relationships built with several other credit unions, regional banks, things like that, to be able to support their funding needs. That's the reality of the situation. You've got to go where the capital is, and the banks are that line of capital. They've got the best sourcing set up to be able to fund mortgages. So for us, we really value our bank friends as partners in what we do. And yeah. for anyone, well, I, really I think lenders successful. are super, super important. Like, yeah, without them, we don't have a business. They are That's right. Product, right. That's right. So. That's right. And, you know, people try to, I think, like go too far sometimes, like separate like monolines versus banks, even the monolines, you know, where do you think the majority of that money comes from? It's coming from bank partners because they're certainly not sitting on 20, 30 billion dollars in, in capital to lend out on an annual basis and then sit on the servicing rights. So, There's a lot that I think that we would like to do in terms of expansion and things like that. And we think about pricing, but right now we're in a very narrow lane, but we do see opportunities that exist out there for more product expansion. And when it comes to just being competitive in the day-to-day with rates, I mean, basically there's a cost to doing business and everyone's sort of fighting the same fight. So, you know, everyone sort of touts the fact they've got 50 plus lenders and all that good stuff. Like there's really only a handful of sources of funding. You know, there's a bond program. That's what you can use for insured. There's the uninsured. And I think that's become the more difficult. So in the insured space, it's more vanilla. The pricing is more set. You know, it's really controlled in a couple of different ways through various parties, including the government. But when you start looking more at the uninsured space, I think that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. First of all, it's not that easy to come across that money, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, cash was in abundance and everyone was just looking for a place to spend it and earn a little bit of money on their money. That is no longer the case. Deposits are down across the industry. 
people are looking at some of the macro factors. Inflation just won't stop. Rate increases just won't stop. And everyone's trying to figure out how they can still earn a spread to make yeah. their business go. So I think that you'll have a lot of players continue to operate in the insured space, though you'll see some of those margins compress. And in the uninsured space, do think that there will be some winners and losers depending on how much cash people are sitting on. And as we know in the broker industry, TD has been that winner here for 2023. And they've been just crushing it because they just had more cash to deploy toward the uninsured mortgages than anybody else. Yeah, we've been doing a ton of mortgages with TD. And I'm sure like most brokers in the channel, it's been a big partner for us right now. So what have you learned launching a lender? Some of the networks have their own lender. A lot of times it's white labeled. You guys haven't white labeled. You've actually built one. It's not like, you know, a Paradigm Quest or something with a rocket label on it. It's actually your own internal people with your own internal compliance and all that stuff and fraud management, and which is significantly more costly. But what have you learned from that? It always takes longer than you think it will. Despite rigorous project planning, there's always going to be bumps in the road that you don't foresee, despite the fact that you think you plan for every possible bump. And I think what we learned along the way is a lot of respect for those who have come before us and done it successfully. It's just an extremely Realize how thing. hard it is. It's, it's so hard to stand up. So hard to stand up. So, you know, you mentioned True North and credit to Dan Eisner and that team has been able to do it. And a lot of the other groups who are you know similar to us that have been upstart grown their businesses and said, hey, you know, we want to differentiate. We think this is a way we could do that. We think this, you know, helps our business and makes sense for our clients. It really was a great learning path. And you just build amazing relationships along the way. So the other learning I'll say is just how small this Canadian mortgage landscape is. Like it's not seven degrees of separation. Everything's one degree of separation. If you don't know right. someone, you know someone who knows that someone. You know how they like six degrees to Kevin Bacon. It's like how many degrees to Ron Butler? It's like probably one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's often what we found is that we're like, oh, we'd be talking to one person. They're like, oh, you need to talk to this person at such and such company or such and such insurer, whatever it was. And we're like, oh, I don't, I don't know anybody there. They're like, oh, just call this person. We're like, okay, cool. So you know, make a phone call, shoot an email, whatever it was, and just bam, like somebody's just there on the other line to help you. They respond quickly and they're like, how can we help? And next thing you know, like you just really just running up the chain of all these different people who solve all these different problems that need to be solved. And they've walked the walk and they've been down the path with several other parties before. They know who are the players in terms of connecting the technology and like, well, what are you going to need for underwriting? Well, we're going to need X, Y, and Z. You should talk to this person. Cool. Next thing you know, you got a new relationship started. And it's just a really small but I'll say extremely helpful ecosystem that we have here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's one thing I actually love as somebody who did business in the US before, which is a heck of a lot more cutthroat. Canadians, sometimes it's a bit of a stereotype, but sometimes that stereotype is also true. Just nice. How can I help? Mm -hmm. Put a handout and people put a handout for us and we've tried to put a handout back for them. And it, it showed, it's shown up in so many ways and we built so many great relationships along the way. Yeah, you know, I heard a joke once. You know how you make a Canadian say sorry? Step on their foot. So ah, you're standing yes. in line at Tim Hortons and you step on somebody's foot, like, oh, sorry. It's like their foot was under your foot. That's it was totally Try that in America and America, and you're probably going to get a different response. Depending <laughs> on the state you're in, you could get pistol whipped. Like it's funny how there's a cultural thing. We like to apologize for things that we didn't even do. So it's just part of our heritage. 
All right. Thanks again for listening to that conversation with Pakam and uh, some of the stuff that they shared about what they've been learning. I always love chatting with people. Even if they have a completely different business model than me, because there's always something I can learn. In this next segment, I've talked to Tom Hall about ChatGPT and your CRM. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Awesome to be here. So, hey, what topic do you want to jump into today? So, yeah, at risk of kind of jumping on the bandwagon too hard, what I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to talk about a little bit was, you know, ChatGPT and your CRM. That's kind of the topic I'm calling it. So, you know, taking, of course, ChatGPT with hopefully a lot of the, the audiences at least begin to at least play around with and see some of the really amazing things that it can do, but then adding it to the context of your CRM, how is it going to help you and your customer journey and the way that you interact with your team and your clients and really across your whole business? Right. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to hear how, I mean, you can see that a lot of companies like we use Notion and a few other tools and they've all been implementing some version of AI to like assist you in either content or, you know, frameworks or stuff. So how do you see people integrating ChatGPT? And I think of ChatGPT as an engine, a natural language engine that can do a lot of really great things. How do you see people implementing it directly or indirectly into a CRM? Yeah. And, and that's, I would say those are the two ways to think about it, indirect and then directly in the CRM. So maybe I'll start with the indirect side of things because actually, honestly, I see people doing this a little bit more, but I'd say maybe even the direct stuff is a little bit cooler, but to get right into it on the indirect side, really where we see a lot of people taking advantage or doing some cool things with it. And I've been playing around with this too, is developing the email campaigns that they're sending or really helping develop their client journey. And there's kind of two elements to that. The first I would say is kind of like uh, actually developing the cadence and the campaign. So, you know, we work with a lot of people and they say, okay, well, you know, I'm starting a new initiative. You know, I'm really reaching out to maybe this set of realtors or maybe I'm, you know, doing some online advertising. And I want it so that as soon as I get a response, as soon as I get some interest, I want a campaign to start to kind of drip them and let them know that I'm interested. But what does that drip look like? And so for us, you know, we have some pre-built ones and we think they're pretty good in blue, but you know, what's great about ChatGPT is that it can be so specific so quickly, right? So, I mean, I have one I was just playing with earlier this week and just really start simple of saying, Hey, what's the best cadence to follow up with the lead? And, you know, we get this whole thing and you can get more and more and more specific. So I was able to even go to the next level of putting it in a table and then making it more concise and then making it very specific to the mortgage context until I got to a point where I have a full six-step process that is extremely tailored to this very specific experience that I'm trying to tailor for my client. So it's pretty wild how contextualized it can be, how specific it can be to what you're you know, specifically doing. Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. One of the things I saw recently, which I liked with ChatGPT, is you actually can give it an identity. So you start yeah. off by saying, yeah. you are a you know experienced mortgage marketer, and this is what you're... Like, you basically craft this, you know, specific identity. You can be like, you're Ryan Reynolds and, you know, you can make it as crazy as you want. But the idea is that you start with the identity and then you ask the question, do you understand? And then ChatGPT goes, yes. It's kind of like, boom, puts on that avatar. And now the content that it creates is specific to that frame of reference. So I think what it comes back to is we got to ask good questions. we got to be able to engineer prompts. And so I did that recently and I had, I came what I told it to do. And then it came back and said, you know, okay, I, I understand. And then you start asking questions and it starts to actually you know, create the content, whether it's email templates or follow-up sequences. And it's a great place to start. Like you really should be starting there. And then you can always still edit and make your own, you know, make it your own. But like nobody should ever have writer's block ever again. What writer's block should we get? Like for any email, any content, don't start with what's in your head. Start there and then 
from there start editing it. And you can edit sometimes just by asking questions too. Like I do things like make it shorter. You know, Fred yep. is like, she's like, add empathy. Cause like, she, you know, she's like, forgets yeah. to like, you know, I don't, I, I like, how do I add empathy <laughs> to this thing? So nothing sounds like you're a big jerk, right? So I'm like, well, yeah. that's pretty funny. But like, anyway, so I, I love that idea totally as, yeah. a, as a place to start. I think yeah. that's an indirect use of your CRM. I and mean, you take that content and then put it into whatever CRM you're using. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I've seen people, yeah, make it friendly or, you know, make it more serious depending on the context. And we've actually, we've heard of people doing this. I know I haven't seen it directly, but of course there are some blue mortgage pre-built ones, but some people don't like them perfectly as they are. So they've taken it as a baseline and said, okay, here's the text of where I'm starting, but I want it a little bit longer and a little bit more serious. Right. And they can take that. Or make it short. Make it, make it, make it short. Make, yeah. make it like you can yeah. just you can drop a chunk of text in there and it'll re-spit it out. Like I usually try to go for shorter. I'm tending. Oh yeah. I always go short. Yeah, yeah. As possible. I don't read long ones. That's just me. But then you can still play with that in there until you get something that you're like happy with. Right. Like the first bracket is not one you want to use, but it's a, certainly a good starting point for anybody creating contents. Yep. Completely. Completely. Yeah. So, okay, so what are the ideas you have? So you're have, you thinking like more indirect stuff or are you thinking about directly how people are integrating ChatGPT into CRMs. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe to switch gears to, yeah, more of the direct stuff. One of the big things that we've been doing, which is pretty cool, is I'll start with one, which is the notes, right? So, I don't know how, how you do it, Scott, personally, but for me, if I'm talking to a new lead for the first time, I'll open up my CRM and I'll just start typing notes, right? And it's kind of like a brain dump, right? Because it's a conversation. You're just trying to get out, you know, the last word that you can remember. And then what I'm usually left with is this massive block of text. And what there is now right within Blue Mortgage, what we have is a button where you can click that basically says summarize, right? right. And by doing so, not only does it make it more concise, kind of adds the structure, the sentences around it, it can also pull away the takeaways or the next steps, right? So you have that for your reference, and then you can immediately have those takeaways right there, which you can then very quickly, you know, this part's manual, but, you know, create a task or a follow-up or whatever it would be. So that's a really direct one. And it's something that we're using and it's having direct impact. It's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could do, there's another program that I have not used, but I've heard good things about called read.ai. And it basically runs mm-hmm. in the background and it's catching the conversation in real time. And right. then it will summarize it. Like my friend yeah. has it on her Zoom calls and it's like, hey, you use X number of non-inclusive language. And yeah, yeah. four times and it's like <laughs> oh my gosh like it's literally like it, it yeah, yeah. it's insane and then it's also summarized of course but that's again now ai baked right into tools to be able to do things that like you know people aren't going to learn to yeah. take notes which is fine like let's use human brain for other things but yeah i love that and, and the fact that you can do it right within the crm system means you don't have to go somewhere else to do it which is really cool any other ways that you've seen people using ai in particular like what you guys are doing you know, this one's kind of interesting. I mean, this one, it's a little bit more B2B, I would say, side of things. So maybe more for folks out there doing commercial, but even adding a little bit of context for even if you're kind of working directly with a person or a couple is there's actually AI or chat GPT built into Blue now so that if you put in an email address, let's say, and, you know, it's going to be at, you know, bluemortgage.ca, right? The AI can actually go out and say, well, what is bluemortgage.ca? And it can actually provide that context so that when you have those conversations or you want to understand a little bit more about the person that you're dealing with, or yeah, I mean, you can actually use the context of the email that provides you to go out and do research and summarize what it means to have, you know, that URL or whatever it is. So it's just another, you know, I'd say even more so on the kind of the cool shiny object side of things, but pretty cool of saying right within the CRM, I can 
you know, do these searches and understand my clients that much better from using, you know, these tools that are available to me. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, we've said this before, but I saw this quote from, I think it was Dan Martell. And he's like, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to a person using AI. And so anybody who's yes. ignoring these yeah. tools is at a major disadvantage. Like, yeah. You've got to embrace this stuff or you're going to just get left behind because anybody using this stuff is going to become so much more productive that you're going to feel like there's literally four of them working over here and it's just you. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's bonkers actually. So I'm a big fan of anything that's going to make my, you know, create a better client experience or make it easier. More clarity is always good. So any other thoughts? So the first one was, you know, taking templates into something like ChatGPT, getting them to modify them to something that you like. Second is being able to summarize notes, you know, or... No, it's all recording calls and bringing that all together. Yeah. Then your CRM and then the email. Any other thoughts you have on this before we wrap up? No, no, I think that summarizes it well. And I just, I would reiterate your last point there where, you know, it's one of those things where people are, you know, back in the day where you know, people were worried about all these factory automations taking away jobs. And it's not that we had mass unemployment. It's just that the jobs got more sophisticated. And I think we're just going through that second wave of that or that next wave of that, where, you know, the work that we're going to do is just going to be about interacting with these tools that we have and the people who can do it most intelligently are going to be the one who can be most effective in this marketplace. So yeah, I look at these tools, start using them, start playing around with them and start getting dangerous. That would be my final thoughts on that. Yeah, that's so true. I've been reading a lot about Henry Ford lately. I'm a big fan of that guy. So he was yeah, yeah. basically a really smart guy. And anyway, there was a, a quote in there about how the farmers who use like a horses to plow a field versus the farmers who adopted the tractor, which was a new technology. It was a bit glitchy. It would break down, but it wasn't perfect to start. And they could literally plow six times the amount of field in a day, somebody with horses. And so it's like the number of people required in farming 120 years ago compared to today, it's like the number is dramatically less. Yeah. Nobody's upset that we don't have more farming jobs. We're not like, oh, dang, we all should be working about farming. <laughs> right. It's not like human beings are all of a sudden going to be sitting there going, wow, we can all be influencers now that all our work is being done. No, we'll find other <laughs> stuff to do. But just embrace the stuff and you're going to be way better off. And anyway. don't be the farmer who keeps using the horses because you're comfortable with them. You got to like embrace the stuff, even if it's imperfect, even if it's a, there's a learning curve, it's still worth doing, in my opinion. Completely. So, Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. If anybody's listening to this, I encourage you guys to go check out bluemortgage.ca and there's no E in blue and Tom and his company can help you out. They've got a fantastic CRM. It's also got AI baked right in some of the things we talked about today. And then just start implementing this stuff in your business. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Take advantage of it. And don't be that farmer who's still using the horses. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode with Bekem and Tom. Hopefully you got some ideas or certainly insights on your mortgage business or how other mortgage businesses run. If you want, go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can keyword search all of our past episodes to find out insights and things that can just really help you become better at your craft. As always, remember competition happens at the bottom. Collaboration happens at the top. Be at the top. The top people always collaborate. I hope that you have a fantastic week and you get out there and collaborate more. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.